Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. And turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. So, uh, oh, I got reverb on this one. Check one, two. Still there. That's right. I'll hear myself preaching as I'm preaching. <laughs> All right. Well, while they fix that, we're in First Corinthians 13, and I just want to share just a, a few, few thoughts um, specifically on faith and on hope. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to be on verse 13. It says this, and this is, you know, right in the middle of the gifts. Obviously, it's just the chapter on love. But what's interesting throughout Scripture is attached to love many times is this thing of faith and hope. And we see kind of like this chord that keeps sewing these three things together. And it says, And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So maybe another day I'll, I'll speak on love, but I, I really want to highlight hope and faith today. Uh, I know, especially in the last year or two, we've been through a lot. And, but even before that, it's just in life, if you look throughout history and as you have uh, community and family and friends, loved ones, or even ourselves, we go through seasons where we're struggling in our hope. And as Christians, we want to live a life of faith. And one of the things that I want to propose today is, is it's very difficult to live a life of faith without hope. You know, faith, which we're going to get into, faith is the thing that causes us to see. We see into the unseen realm and we pull it into our today, into our now. Uh, but hope really is the, the thing that gives birth to faith. If, you, if you're hopeless or if you're struggling in hope in a certain situation, it's very difficult to even exercise your faith, whether it be in general or over specific situations. We want to to this today. And we want to hit it, yes, in this holiday season, but also just in life, as a Christian, as a believer. You know, the earth, all of creation, all the people of the earth, they have this desire for hope, for love, really for faith. And they may not know it because this is what we were created to live in, to live in love, to live in faith, to live in hope. We were created to be believe it or not, an optimistic creation. You know, and then the devil comes to kill still and destroy. So this is kind of, in a way, a reminder, even in the New Testament, hey, this is your nature. As believers, as Christians, as the created, this is your nature because this is the nature of our Father. And if this is his nature, then it's our nature, Right? All right, so we're going to read quite a lot of scriptures, and to help me, I have quite a lot of post-it notes in my Bible. 
sometimes I wish there was like 14 of these little string things in here. I know some Bibles are generous. They give you two or three. Most of you guys don't have any strings because you're using your phones, but that's fine. (laughs) But let me pray again. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us, that you have hope for us, you have faith for us. We thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you're doing, what you've already done, and what you're going to do. And we love you, Lord. Actually, I want, I want to share one, one quick thing before we dive into this. And, you know, Bill was speaking last week, and I didn't actually get a chance to talk to him about it. But one of the things that started to really strike my heart, and this is, you know, day after Christmas, we would be, obviously some people, and probably they're right, he was probably born more towards April, but we celebrate in December. And one of the things that was really hitting me during his message was this reality of these, the wise men, they brought the, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And, you know, the gold, many theologians believe that the gold would represent, because he's, he's a king, he's lord, the, the frankincense because he's a priest, uh, but the myrrh would be because he was a lamb that was prepared for the slaughter. And if you know about when Jesus died and he was brought to his tomb, they actually anointed his body with myrrh. And the thing that was hitting me really hard was thinking of, of his mother, because he, he kept, Bill kept saying, and, and, and she would ponder these things in her heart. Obviously, that's what the scripture says. And then it hit me, and I started to, to cry, and I was like, oh my gosh, she, at her son's death, she would have remembered his birth as she smelt the myrrh on his body. And it's just this thing of like, he was born to die for us. And this gratefulness just began to like spring up in my heart, even in this season of remembering, okay, this is the Lord. This was his birthday, but he was born to die. And so in in this season, in this Christmas season, remembering Okay, they, they brought him the myrrh, and they anointed him. And, and it's intense. We get to see it in hindsight, and it's intense. Like, wow, you have a ba- I have two kids, and I'm thinking, like, you know, anointing my son with myrrh, and then on the day of, of his death, smelling that and being reminded of his whole life. And that's, that's what happened, at least for Mary, and now for us, because we have it in this story, realizing, hey, this, this was one of those things that, was a simple thing. You can kind of miss it, but realizing like, no, this from the very, scripture actually says, says he was slain before the foundations of the earth. So even before all of creation, there was, there was a plan for creation. But realizing like, wow, the, the heart of Mary, as she pondered these things, knowing like this was the God man that she gave birth to, anointed, and then upon his death, like, oh my gosh, okay, God, you planned for this from the very beginning. And so the, watching his life, like everything he did, he knew. And it was a struggle because he said, you know, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But there was no other way, and he was willing. And so side note, a little Christmas message. And now we will give a, another message. So faith, hope, and love. Okay, faith, hope, and love. So one of the things that uh, I want to bring to our attention today and really all throughout this morning is these three things, they go together. We'll, we'll read a few other scriptures where they tie them in. We talk about the work of faith and love and, and hope and, and how they all come in together. 
But hope is essential for the Christian life. Hebrews 11 is like the hall of fame, right, of faith. We have all these amazing men and women who get mentioned in this chapter that kind of make like these by faith, these by faith, this one by faith, this one by faith, and lists all these things. And we see in their definition that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Everyone say hoped for. And it's the conviction of things not yet seen. So these, and we would go on to see later on, I think it's in verse 13, it says that these men and women of faith would know that they died without receiving the promises, right? These people were given these promises. They lived by faith, believing for this, these promises. And then I think it's verse 13 or 14 there. 13, I got it right the first time. It says that having received these promises, they believed and they welcomed them. They received them, even though they didn't walk in it. They received them by faith. And it's, a, it's actually a really amazing thing that from a distance, seeing it from afar off, they saw something in the spirit that they didn't actually have in the natural and says that they welcomed it, which is generational thing. Why are they welcoming it? For the next generation, for really for us. It's for the entirety of the Christians that would come after them. And I want to just highlight this, this one part, that faith, faith is the conviction of things not yet seen. So faith, as I said earlier, is, the, is that substance, it's that tangible belief inside of us to see what is not yet visible, what is not yet manifest. Practical example, maybe the Lord put faith on your heart to believe, I don't know, for, for a new car. We'll just make it easy. And you can see the car. You believe it. He gave you a promise. You know he said it. And every day or every week or however much you're praying, you're like, no, I can see. You said, Lord, you were going to give me a new car. You said that you were, whatever it is. Maybe it's uh, you're believing for a baby. You said, Lord, that you would give me children. Maybe you're believing for a spouse. Whatever it is, fill in that blank. Faith is the substance that allows you to see the thing God promised you, though it not yet be manifest in you. And one of the, the things that we see with these men and women in Hebrews 11 is not only do they see it, they welcomed it. They welcomed it in, in their life. And it's this practice, this work of faith that they were doing. And for me, or at least what I would kind of want to propose today, is there is a slight difference between faith and hope. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And I would, I would like to give a, a definition of hope as the expectation that something good is about to happen to me. So hope is an expectation of good, and faith is leaning on that expectation and having assurance of it and seeing it, though it not be manifest yet. Does that make sense? All right. Faith sees it, but hope, hope feels it. Hope, in many ways, is the soil or the seedbed that faith grows in. And when you don't have hope, it's very hard to exercise our faith. Let's go to Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Lamentations 3, verse 21. 
So I want to talk today, how can we build ourselves in faith and how can we build ourselves in hope? Because we've all gone through seasons of life, of hopelessness, or maybe it's a situational thing. Maybe we've lacked hope because of a, uh, of a medical condition. Maybe we have lack of hope for finances. Maybe we have lack of hope for, you know, whatever it is, right? And maybe you're not necessarily a, a hopeless person or, or someone that deals with hopelessness on an ongoing way, though some people that, that is their reality, but maybe it's a, it's a situational thing. And what do we normally do when we have a hopeless situation or we're going through a hopeless season? We try to numb out, right? We try to not think about it. We try to pass over it or not deal with it. You know, if you're someone that's maybe hopeless with, the finan- with your finances, you're probably not balancing your checkbook often. You're probably not looking at the bank account often. You're kind of like uh, just going and going. And every time you get a check or whatever, there's this, this thing like it's not enough. And for whatever reason, this, this, these lies keep sticking to us and we are going in these, this, this circle of hopelessness. And I've been through it. I know all of us have been through it with many different things. And so what are some ways to break that cycle of hopelessness, to kind of step out of that and build up hope? Well, one of the ways is in Lamentations 3, verse 21, we have Jeremiah here. And he says this, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have a hope. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. And so, I mean, if you go back um, further in this chapter, he was reminding himself of things that the Lord had done for him. So he says, This I recall to my mind, or I remembered that which the Lord had done for me, and therefore I have hope. One of the ways that we can grow in hope is to remind ourselves of things the Lord has already done in our lives. And I know this can sound silly or systematic, but there's actually power in this. And we could even take it one step forward, right? Maybe, maybe again, I'll just use this as an example. I'm, I'm believing for, I don't know, I'm married already, but I want to say it like this. I'm believing for a spouse, but I've never been married before, so I can't bring to remembrance how the Lord gave me a spouse. I can't, but, but I have a lot of friends who are married. So I don't have that memory, but I can remind myself of your history. You know, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And that if he did it for you, he'll do it for me. Why? Because God doesn't have favorites. Well, I'm his favorite, but, but you're his favorite too, right? And if he did it for you, He'll do it for me. And it's a simple thing, but if you're dealing with hopelessness, and again, if it's a season, if it's something that you often go through, or maybe it's situational, remind yourself of something that he's done for you, or if you don't have that history for yourself, grab a hold of a testimony of someone around you and keep, every time that feeling of hopelessness comes, remind yourself of the testimony. And maybe the, the feeling won't go away. Maybe the hopelessness, hopelessness doesn't go away immediately. But I promise you, the more you remind yourself of truth and what the Lord has done, the more hope will begin to spring up, even if it's little, little, little. So that's Lamentations 3, verse 21. I want you to turn also with me to Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And this is a verse, actually Bill uh, quoted it today. Uh, And most of us know this. For I know the plans I have for you, 
says the Lord, plans to prosper you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. Now, all these scriptures, we're going to share a lot today. That, like I said, they're, they're not just words. These are our promises, our realities, our standards as Christians. And now, this is a powerful verse in and of itself. We could quote it. We can read it. We can remind ourselves. We can put it on a post-it note, put it on our bathroom mirror, whatever. I mean, most of us might have it on the cover of a journal or, you know. But the context actually makes this even more powerful. This is Jeremiah. They're in Babylon. Actually, they got sent to Babylon for 70 years because it, it was in response to them serving other gods. So the Lord's like, okay, let me send you to Babylon. Let, let you experience what other gods are like. Uh, and so you're 70 years in Babylon. And this verse is written about the 30-something year. So not quite 35, but not quite 30, somewhere in between 30 and 35. They're not even halfway through their exile to Babylon. And in the midst of the Babylonian season of persecution, of, of God being distanced from them, Jeremiah declares this prophetic word over Israel. He says, no, this is what the, the word of the Lord says over you. Seventy years, it's a, it's a generation, really, right? The people who first got sent there are dying off, and now you have a generation that are growing up in Babylon, in this desolate, desolate place for the Israelites. And Jeremiah says, yeah, in the midst of this, I need to remind you of something. The Lord has plans for you. Plans to prosper you. Not plans for evil, not plans for calamity, plans for a hope, and plans for a future. Meaning, even in the midst of this situation, the God who you serve has a future for you. Meaning this, this is not the end of your story. This is not your final destination. We're going somewhere. And not just a future, but hope. He knew they needed hope in the middle of this situation. So then what does that mean for us? It means we can have hope and hope for a future even before we get the answer or the breakthrough or the deliverance from that thing that we are in hopelessness about. And it comes right in the middle of our struggle right in the middle of our hopeless situation, right in the middle of our Babylon seasons, and he says, no, remember, I have a plan for you. I have a hope for you to prosper you. Evil won't, won't come for you. Hope and a future will come for you. And it's powerful. Turn with me to Psalms 33. You guys okay that we're jumping around? Yeah. All right. Psalms 33, we'll do verse 17, and then you can also put a, a finger in Proverbs 21. Psalms 33, verse 17, it says this. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Some, would, some of your translations will say salvation uh, or safety. 
nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. And then Psalms 21, verse 31 says this, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is the Lord's. Now, quick tip. We're not talking about horses. I know nothing about horses. Uh, but this horse represents, it represents us in these scriptures, right? And so a horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Horse, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Okay, pause there. We in the scripture are instructed to pray many times. In fact, in in the New Testament, we, we have the Lord's Prayer, which he tells the disciples, pray in this way. Pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, he's instructing us to pray. We'll just take this one part, for our daily bread. Now, he's a good father. If we don't pray every day for our daily bread, we're probably still going to get bread because he's a good father. But he says, pray for your daily bread. Well, okay, Lord, well, if you're going to give me the bread anyway, then why do you want me to pray? And I think one of the reasons why is, is because it's, actually, it's good for us to do that. It actually builds something up inside of us to actually ask the Lord for something that he's, he's planning to give us anyway. Because he'll still give us the bread that we need. But as we exercise the way of getting the bread, which the Lord said, pray to the Father, give us this day our daily bread, there's something that grows inside of us that would not have grown had he just given us the bread. But it's in the asking for the bread that brings the maturity inside of us to believe he's always going to give us bread. And even throughout scripture, when it talks about, you know, the, the children of God, there's, there's different versions of, of children. There's the, the, the baby, look, the child. It's the same word for child where it actually means child, but then there's another time where it means adolescent or like teenager. And then it actually brings us to a place where he starts to call us uh, children or sons and daughters, and it's, it's the mature son. And he, he cares for all versions of his children, whether you're in immaturity, you're in adolescence, or you're in maturity. And one of the ways he does it is by teaching us his ways and teaching us how to think, how to pray. And so if we go back, so we have this reality. God, you know, Matthew 6, we see that 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 God knows what we need even before we pray, right? That's what it tells us in Matthew 6. God, Jesus knows what we need even before we pray. And then he says, okay, but then pray like this. So it's like, okay, well, then why are we praying? Because it's good for us. And he says, prepare for battle, right? The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And the other verse the horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. So what's, what's the point here and where, why am I dragging this out? For me, the point is, we are called to pray. We are called to prepare ourselves. We are called to do what we need to do to live our life in such a way that, yes, it's pleasing to God, but also that it, it is uh, uh, healthy and beneficial for our lifestyle. 
But the point is that even though we're doing the preparing and we're doing the praying, our hope should not be in our prayer or in our preparing. Our hope should be in the Lord, in the one who actually brings the breakthrough and brings the bread. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, I don't, again, put my hope in the prayer. My hope is in the Lord. When I'm preparing myself for the, the, the battles of life, that even though I'm taking the Ephesians 6, I put on the, the belt of truth, the, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, uh, the sword of truth, all those different things, and we're doing the exercising, and we're reading our word, and we're, and we're saying, I believe these things, and I'm declaring the truth, and I'm doing the things that are the Christian life. My hope is not in the things that I'm doing or in my preparation. At the end of the day, my hope is in the Lord. Finances, right? We can go through seasons of blessing where we have an amazing job, and, and we have amazing provision from our work, and we, we actually might even like our job, and we like the amount that's on our paycheck, and it's coming in and and that's amazing and that's a blessing but at the end of the day our hope shouldn't be in the paycheck or in the job that we have for the provision for ourselves and our family our hope should be in the lord why because if we're preparing ourselves for the day of battle which i'm not speaking this over you i'm just using this as an example if i'm preparing myself for the day of battle of when I might lose my job and I don't have my provision and I had put my hope in my job and what I can do in my nine to five, 40 to 50 hours a week, and then I lose that, now I immediately am put into a hopeless mindset because now I no longer have the thing I hoped for. But if my hope, even in seasons of provision, is still in the Lord, yes, Lord, thank you for this paycheck, but you provide for me. Thank you for this job, but you provide this job for me. Thank you for the food on my table, but you put this here. Yes, I know practically I went to work and I got the money and I went to the grocery store or maybe half of you ordered it on an app and it got delivered. You're the one, Lord, that put this food on the table. And when we begin to learn that where our hope needs to be aimed towards, that's how we build ourselves up into holy faith. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, most, most of my life, I used to think, uh, well, for a, a while, I used to think that the meaning of that or the outcome of that verse is, okay, well, uh, if I get the desire of my, that I'm looking for, then my heart won't be sick. And if my heart's sick, it's because I don't have the thing that I'm asking for. And many of us think like, oh, I, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm sad because I'm not... I, you know, maybe I'm not married, or I don't have the job I want, or I, don't, I didn't get the raise, I didn't get the promotion, uh, I didn't get that car, I didn't, you know, that whatever, I didn't get the break, whatever it is, and it's this thing. We're looking for the, this outcome to happen, and our heart is sick, and we're feeling uh, down, and we're feeling out, and we're feeling heavy, and it's like, well, we think it's because of all these things, but this, it's clear. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It's, it's not your desire being unfulfilled that makes your heart sick. It's the fact that you don't have hope that makes your heart sick. Meaning this, 
you could never see another one of your hopes or your desires fulfilled for the rest of your life, but your heart could still remain full of hope and full of life because our hope is not in the outcome of things. Our hope is in him. It's the Hebrews 11, right? These men and women who are in the hall of fame of faith, that these, they went through these amazing things in life, they saw the thing, they saw the promise fulfilled in the future and welcomed it, but would never see it. And their hearts were filled with hope and faith, even though they would never see the fulfillment of their promise because their hope wasn't in the fulfillment of the promise. It was in him. It was in the one who made the promise. Turn to Romans 4 with me. We're going to start in verse 18 and we'll, we'll finish out the whole chapter. And while you're doing that, I just want to paint another picture here. Again, we're talking about hope. We're talking about faith. I believe that the Lord wants to give us an injection of hope. Not just this morning, but in this season and in our life. He wants to continue to infuse hope into our hearts. Like I said in the very beginning of this message, we want to be Christians. We want to be, we want to be believers who live a life of great faith because we want to do great, great things for God. And it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I, I think it's impossible to, to walk in faith if we don't have hope. I think hope is the thing that gets you off of the couch or out of your bed or out of your room. Hope is the thing that gets you off your seat and brings you out onto the front porch. And faith is the thing that looks out in the distance from the front porch and sees into the unseen and brings it into today. But I think before we even get out on the front porch, it's hope that's needed to get us up out of whatever it is and get us into exercising the eyes of faith. Romans 4, verse 18. Now this is Abraham. I love this chapter. Now this is Abraham. And, well, let me read it first, and then we'll talk about him. It says, Who, meaning Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed. Meaning, there was no reason to be hopeful in the situation of Abraham's life, talking about him and Sarah having kids. There was no reason to be hopeful. And in opposition to the reasoning to not be hopeful, chose to be hopeful and believed. Amazing. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. Now, also key, father to many nations. He's not just the father of Israel. He's the father of nations. This is what was promised to him from God. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able, was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness or faith. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us which is a whole sermon in and of itself right there. But it shall be imputed to us 
who believe in God, in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up from, because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So Abraham, contrary to hope, still chose hope. Now, again, not just verses. These are things that can grab our hearts and grab our souls, right? And so, Abraham, about 100 years old. Sarah, probably 90. He didn't, Abraham didn't consider himself like dead, not living. His whole point was, nothing's working down here. And for his wife, nothing's working over there either. <laughs> so basically what we're seeing here is, the, the writer's letting us know, Abraham was very much aware that the promise God gave him was literally and physically impossible. God gave him a promise that Abraham fully understood, had full comprehension and understanding, and Sarah too, that's why she laughed, when God gave her the promise that this will never happen. But God, you said it, so it will happen. Faith... But there's this, this phrase that people say that faith is blind. Faith is not blind. Denial is blind. Faith is able to look at the impossible situation, understand that it's impossible. Faith is able to look at a hard situation and understand, no, this is hard. Faith is able to look at something that doesn't look good and say, yeah, this doesn't look good, but God. Denial ignores it. Denial pretends it's not happening. Denial, unbelief, tries to forget about the situation because it doesn't believe it and it can't believe that it's possible. But faith is able to look and understand. It's not ignorant of the situation. It's not blind faith. It's when someone says, wow, you're believing for that? That's going to be really hard. And you're like, yeah, I actually agree with you. It is going to be hard. But the Lord said he would do it. And if he said he would do it, then he's going to do it. This was Abraham's response. People probably knew about the promise. You're going to be the father. You don't don't even have a kid. How can you be the father of nations when you don't even have one child? I want to highlight one more thing. Back in verse 18, it says, who, again, contrary to hope and hope believes, so that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. That phrase there, so shall your descendants be, is making reference to this story and to this, this what, when God spoke this to Abram, he took him at night, Outside, he said, look, look to the stars, so shall your descendants be. And then he took him out in the day, and he took him to the sand, and he said, look at the sands, so shall your descendants be. Why did he do that? He was, he was saying, listen, because if, if you're in a night season, and you're, or if you're in a day season, it doesn't matter. You're still going to be reminded, in the midst of the lack of the fulfillment and the manifestation of your promise, I have a reminder for you, Abraham, so shall your descendants be, so shall your descendants be. 
And we know the story. He obviously had Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. And they did that. Why? Because Sarah said, because he made me laugh. But this, this is, this, is this, this hook that we need to grab a hold of. If God said it, we believe it, and that's it. We don't have to be ignorant of it. We don't have to pretend that it's, that it's going to be easy. If he said it, then it's it. Romans 8, verse 28. We know, you can say it with me if you know it, that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good for all who love God. Again, not just a cute verse. This is, this is our reality. This is, this is what we get to stand on. This is the thing that we get to remind God of, not because he need remind, needs reminding, but we need to hear ourselves and remind ourselves and say it back to God. In the middle of a hard situation, in the middle of a hard season, in the middle of loss, in the middle of trauma, in the middle of whatever it is, we can say, okay, but God, you said you will work all things together. So God, I look forward to see how you're going to work it this situation for my good. The thing hope does, see, faith can see the answer. But when, when we're in hopelessness, we don't actually need the answer right there. In fact, you know, I joke with my wife often that I don't know what, literally what the word empathy even means. Um, and I've, I've, some of you may not know either, but still learning. We're, we're in this together. And uh, I'll tell her, you know, like uh, I'm doing my best here. And my normal, if she's going through something hard or even a friend is going through something hard, my normal is, okay, what's the solution? How can we fix this? How can we fix this? How can we fix this? But a lot of times when someone is going through deep trauma and is struggling and swirling in deep hopelessness, they don't need to know the answer. They just need to know that you're there with them. And that's what hope does. Hope is the thing that makes you certain something good is going to happen. I don't know what it is. Hope is the thing that can say, this is a hard situation. I don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. I don't see it yet. I don't have faith yet. But I can choose to be hopeful because I have hope in him. And I know that he works all things together for the good. I don't know when this is going to change, and I don't know how it's going to change. I just know that it will. And that's when I can come up to someone or come up to my wife, and they can say, I'm dealing with this thing, and I'm like, all right, I don't know. I don't know the answer, and I don't know when this is going to change, and I don't know how it's going to change, but I know that it will. And I can encourage my friend, this won't be forever. I don't know how this is going to change. I don't know when you're going to stop feeling this way. I don't know when you're going to get healed. I don't know when you're going to get delivered. I don't know when the provision is going to come. But I know that it will. Because he who promised is faithful. He's the God of hope. Hebrews 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, 
and so much more as you see the day approaching. I, I love this verse, number one, because it's just like, you know, and I, this has nothing to do with, with COVID, just, you know. But there's this whole thing where the Lord's like, no, don't forsake gathering together. There's something that happen, happens in the gathering. There's something that happens in the gathering. And the Lord, he wrote it in. Like Bill said earlier, quoted, and it's many times throughout Scripture, he's the God that's in the midst. Where two or three gather, he's there in the midst of you. Revelation, it says that he's the God's, God in the midst of the lampstand. The lampstand is his churches. It, he's the God that loves to be in the middle of us. But he can only be in the middle of us if there's an us. He's always up in the middle of you. Like, we know that. But he wants to be in the middle of us, in the midst of us. And something happens when we gather. He said, don't forsake the gathering. And especially more as the day is approaching. Meaning, as his coming draws nearer, we actually continue to draw nearer. And we gather more. But let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering. He who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And so here again, we have this thing of faith, hope, and love together. Let me give you another one. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 6. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So he's addressing them. You know, even in the midst, when you received this gospel, there was much affliction. There was a lot of hardship going on, right? But he says, remember, we remember without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Work of faith, labor of love, and your patience of hope. Again, these three things coming together. For me, in this verse, it's, it's putting action. It's like there's substance to these. You know, they're, they're not just words. There's substance. There's things. There's growth. There's a wrestle. It's, it's an exercise. These things, it's a gift that God's given us, that we would have love, and we need to exercise that love. If you go to Revelation, I think it's the, the church of Ephesus. The, it, he talks about the work of love, that this is something we actually have to work and do, that it doesn't always come easy. It's not always natural for us to love certain people or love certain uh, uh, individuals or, or whatever, but we're to do it anyway because that's what he's called us to do. And so for me, that's why he calls it a work of love. It's, it's a job description for us. You know, you got the job description he's written for a Christian. One of those things is, is love. Learn to love. Learn to love well. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor as you love yourself which means you got to love yourself as you love God. you got to love God. There's a work. There's an exercise. Even in, in faith, the same thing. It's a, it's a work of faith. It's an exercise of faith. It, it doesn't just come. It's a gift that he's given us. But just like any other gift, maybe you're, you're naturally gifted at a sport. Maybe you're a naturally gifted soccer player. But you're not just going to be at, you know, World Cup level 
just because you were born naturally gifted, you have to put in the practice and the work. Baseball, whatever it is, your instrument, your skill, that maybe you're like me and you love Excel. I love Excel, but I, you know, naturally inclined to it, but there's so much, you know, still can't figure out pivot tables, that's fine, but we could grow in that. You can learn. It's this thing where you have to exercise the gift. You have to grow in it. You can just do your life and kind of get away with it because you're just naturally good at it. But if you practice it, you grow in it, you exercise it. When you're confronted with an issue, you lean into it. With faith, it's the same thing. We believe, but like Peter said, but help my unbelief. We're exercising. We're taking risk. We're going after things. We're praying for the sick. We're praying uh, and ministering to ones. We're prophesying. We're taking the risk of maybe getting it wrong. We're taking the risk of maybe not seeing the breakthrough. But when I tell you, if you keep taking the risk and exercising your faith, it won't be long until you start to see breakthroughs and you grow in your gift of faith and things start to happen. When you pray, when you put your hand to the plow, when you go to minister, when you go and do the, the, the project, the job, the pitch, the whatever that the Lord told you to do, and watch as things start to happen. And hope. Hope is something we have to build up inside of us. It's something that it's not just happening to us. We're not just, we don't just happen to be hopeful, and we don't just happen to be hopeless. We build ourselves up into hopeless, hopefulness. One of the ways, remind ourselves of what the Lord has done. I recall to mind, Lamentations 3, I recall to mind and therefore I have hope. If you don't have a testimony, grab someone else's, right? I want to give you two more ways. Second, remind yourself of who you serve. One, remember what he's done. But two, remember who he is. He is the good father. He is the Lord of all the earth. He is still creator. He still does impossible things. Remind yourself, well, I'm a son and I'm a daughter. Remind yourself of who you are and who you serve. And as you remind yourself of those things, hope will build up in your life. Third, We have to continue to confess and put our hope in God. This is the Hebrews 10, verse 23 again. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. We have to confess it. We have to speak it out. No, I, I put my hope in God. We saw this in David. David would say, why so downcast, O my soul? I shall yet praise him. I will put my trust, my hope in God. In seasons of despair, of hopelessness, David would say out loud, or maybe he would write it. I'm not sure what he did, but I'm assuming he said it out loud. He sang it, so he definitely said it out loud. At least he sang it out loud. I put my hope in the Lord. I put my hope in the Lord. He, he, wasn't, he, was, he was singing to himself. He was speaking to his heart, to his soul. He's saying, soul, I know we're down and depressed right now, but we will put our hope in God. We will put our trust in God. I put my hope 
in God. It's the confession of hope. Someone says you can't have children, it's past your time. You say, I understand. I actually agree with you. I'm not ignorant that it's a bad situation, but I put my trust in the Lord. My hope is not in myself. My hope is in God. Last verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, says prepare your mind or gird your mind for action. Love it. He's saying, look, this is not something, again, this is not just something we're going to sit back and it's going to happen. No. Get in an action position. Gird your mind. Think, we're going to do something here. And what, what are we going to do? We're going to keep sober in spirit and we're going to fix our hope completely on the grace of Jesus Christ. Knowing this, we cannot change our situation without him. And it's his grace, my definition of grace is the supernatural empowerment from the Lord that, that helps you do the thing that you need to do, do in the moment you need to do it. That's his, his grace. It comes. We, we didn't have the ability, but he gives us the ability by his grace to do what we need to do when we need to do it. You know, some people say this, that, you know, you know I talk to married couples, I have friends, they're like, no, no, we're not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to have kids yet. I'm not ready to have children. I have two, and I'm just like, well, you're never ready to have children. Uh, you really aren't. The, the grace you need to have a child comes when the child is born. You can do all the preparing and all the reading you want, but the reading and the preparing does not help you with waking up every two hours. The reading and the preparing, I mean, it helps you, but it doesn't help you. It doesn't prepare you for one gets sick, and then the next one gets sick, and then this one's better, but then catches the sickness from this one, and then this one, and then, then you get it, and then they get it, and then you, like, the grace you need for kids comes the moment you get your kids. People will say, oh, I'm not ready for marriage yet. I'm like, okay, yeah, again, we do the preparation, and we, you know, we do all the stuff. I'm not, I'm not hating on the preparation. But the point is, grace comes when you say, I do. It comes in the moment when you need it, when you step into it. Why? Because there's this thing where God gives you a promise, but he wants you to exercise your faith and your hope and step into the promise, and then you'll feel his grace. You know, we talked a lot about hopelessness. Another way it looks is, is fear. Fear, hopelessness, in my opinion, is you're actually, you're, it's a belief system. You're, you're believing in something. When you're afraid, when you're hopeless, you're believing in something. And you're actually expecting something. It's just something bad. If hope is the earnest expectation that something good is going to happen to me, then hopelessness and fear is the earnest expectation that something bad will happen to me. And who does that sound like? The enemy, right? 
And it's just like, no, th- this, this thing of hopelessness, and this is, again, not to shame anyone. I've been through it. We've all been through it. But let's recognize for what it is. This is not my nature. This is not my thought. This is not my way of thinking. I know the situation has not changed yet, but I will put my trust in God. I will choose not to be hopeless. And then I still feel hopeless. Well, I will choose not to be hopeless. And then, like, I get that this is not just a turn the light on situation, but we, we are building ourselves up. And if you're in a hopeless se- season, which I've been in, a situation that's hopeless, which I've been in, a natural thing is to hide that stuff from people and to not let people know that we're going through that thing and to not, how you doing? I'm doing great. You have no job, you have no car, you have no this, you know, but I'm doing great in the name of like, I'm blessed, right? It's like, no, be transparent, be vulnerable with people you trust, invite them into the situation. Why? Because if I'm going to build myself up, yeah, I can do these, these three things, but there's, there's one more thing. There's a fourth way to build up hope. Get around people who are filled with hope. Get around people that have a breakthrough in the very area that you need breakthrough in. Get around people who have the thing that you're hoping for. Not in a, in a jealous way or I'm going to steal it from the way, but in a thing of I'm celebrating their breakthrough. And as I honor it and as I celebrate it, their breakthrough will become my breakthrough. Get around people that are hopeful in seasons of hopelessness so that their hopefulness can start to rub off on you and build up hope and build up faith and get you off the couch and onto the front porch and seeing again. Things like depression, one of the things it comes from is from having no hope. Things, now let's do it the other way. Now, I just spoke to us when we're in a hope situation. Another natural thing that we do sometimes, we do this, us loving Christians, pastors, we do this sometimes. We see people that are hopeless and and sometimes we avoid them and we don't even realize we're avoiding them. Like, oh no, they're always hopeless. They're always this. Uh, gonna, and, and I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm not saying like you should only hang out with hopeless people. If you're hopeful, you only hang out with hopeless people. Like that's, that's not the point. But the reality is y- you have an answer that they need. And it's not the answer to their situation. The answer they need is hope. They just need hope. You come around them and they tell you, and you say, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer, and I don't know how, how it's going to happen. I just know that it will. This is not your forever. This is not your destination. We need hope. Hope builds faith. And faith is able to see the thing that God wants to do in the unseen and bring it into today. But to have faith, we need hope. You know, we don't always have a prophetic word for everyone. We don't always know how something's going to end. But I, I know who's in charge. I know who is in charge of the end. I know the one who is writing my story, and I know the one who's writing your story. I don't have the answer, but I have the one who knows the answer. 
And I put my hope in him. And I can encourage you to put your hope in him. And you can encourage me to put my hope in him as you put your hope in him. And watch as we begin to do this as a community, as we begin to do this as a family, as we begin to do this as a church, watch as hope builds, faith will build. And as faith builds, we will see impossible things become possible because he is still the God that does impossible things. And so if you're here today, and maybe it's a situation, if I can have the worship team come up. Maybe it's a specific situation. Maybe it's a medical condition. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a provision thing, a job thing. I don't know, a relationship thing. You know, maybe for you, you deal with hopelessness on a situational basis. But there's that thing, the two things, the three things. You're like, I just, I can't shake it. I can't shake this hopelessness. I, I just have this belief that nothing good is going to happen here. Or, or maybe you're in a season of hopelessness. Maybe it's just in everything, in all things, there's just this, this weight of hopelessness that's, that's come. We, we want to pray for you today. We want to pray for you this afternoon. And again, this is not a, a shame thing. We're not trying to expose anyone. In fact, if you want prayer but you don't want to respond right away, that's fine. You can kind of sneak up afterwards. We'll pray for you anyway. Um, but we want to pray for anyone that's walking through that right now, that the Lord would infuse you with hope. And I would just speak this over you now. Um, if, in fact, why don't we all just stand? And that's you. You can just put your hands out before the Lord. I hope this helped today. Yeah, if that's you, just close your eyes, just put your hands out before the Lord. And I just want to speak over you today. <laughs> the God who you serve, he has plans for you. Meaning he's not forgotten you. And they're not for evil, they're not for calamity. So the evil or the calamity you're experiencing, know that that's not him. He has plans for you, plans for a hope, plans for your future, meaning this is not the end of your story. And I don't know when things will change, and I don't know how it will, but I know that it will. And not just for the people around you, for you. Father, I ask that they would experience grace your grace right now that will come over them. The grace they need for this right now. Like David, we speak to our soul today. <laughs> soul, we know you're down. You might be depressed. Unbelief expectation of bad that nothing will change that this will always stay the same this relationship will always stay the same I'm never going to get that job I'm never going to get that promotion I'm never going to get that freedom that breakthrough from that belief that sin 
But we look to our soul and say, oh, why are you saying those things? Why are you casting yourself down? For we shall yet praise him. We put our hope in you, God. We put our trust in you. As you did with the Israelites, even in the midst of a Babylon season, where they weren't even halfway through, we remind ourselves that you have a plan for us. You have a hope for us, a future for us. We remind ourselves of what you've already done. Let hope arise. Let hope arise in the hearts of your children. Let hope arise. That it could be said of us that in the face of hopelessness, where we should be hopeless, we choose hope. Where things seem impossible, we choose to put our hope in God. We exercise our confession of hope today. We put our hope in you. And Lord, I pray for this whole room today. It says in Zechariah, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. And I speak to you today. Come to the stronghold of hope. Come to the stronghold of hope. You people of hope. Lord, I pray that this would be a people of hope. That we would walk these streets, our households, our communities, our jobs, and hope would ooze out of us. And hope would exude out of us. That we would become a people where hope becomes contagious. A people of empathy, holy empathy and hope that would bring you in every situation. That hope would give birth to faith. <laughs> and that when we exercise our faith, that it would be pleasing to our Father. So we're going to go into worship. And if you're here and you just want someone just to pray with you, just simply to partner with you, we'll invite you to come up. If you, if you don't want anyone to physically lay hands on you, that's fine too. You can just come and just let them know. But we're going to pray. And we're just going to release hope over you. Maybe it's a specific situation. We'll pray into the situation as well. Maybe it's been a, a, a seasonal or a lifestyle struggle of hopelessness. We want to pray for you. So we just want to invite you to come on up. We have a team that's going to minister. And like I said, maybe this isn't you. Maybe this hasn't been your struggle. But this is your ministry. To be a people of hope to surround those in hopeless situations, to give them hope, to remind them 
of the one who is hope. We thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.